Jack Sanders is here. No hide nations, so he didn't trust me to come on alone. Uh -huh. Good thinking. Who was Glenn and Michelle? And who's Linda and Terry and Lori? Okay, shalom. Oh, hello. Hello, Jack. I'm happy that you had time to come out here today. You usually speak a couple hours a week, but without without classes, so I'm very honored. Let's see. Okay, um Well, a couple of seconds. Oh, there we go. My my clock says 10 o'clock. Should we begin? Should we begin? It's 10 or we should wait a bit? Okay. What we're going to do today is um, I want to load this up a little bit. You have a website for the book if you want to go. And you see the secretscale.com. If you're with your computer, you can go on. If you're with your computer, you can go on secretscale.com, and you can download the first chapter. See over here, read the first chapter. You can see the first chapter there, and you'll be able to participate uh, with the class. Can everybody hear me? Okay, fine. I want to say uh, that um, we're uh, we're studying about the uh, the idea of the, the importance of people, which is a very strange thing to have to learn. Uh, most of us uh, feel very egotistical without having to read a book, but we have to really do a good job when we when we become egotistical. If, uh, if I'm egotistical, I can say, you like me, that one likes me, the other one likes me. But that's that's nothing. God likes me. That's something. God created the whole universe for me. That's something. And this is something, it's very, very hard to really get that into our head, to think here. God loves me so much that he created the whole universe. As the Talmud says, for one person... That God created the whole universe for one person to show that a person is obligated. Each human being must say, for my sake the world was created. Now all of us can say it, but how many of us can really believe it? How many of us can really sit down wherever we are and think, look outside, the sun, the stars, the trees, all of this is created just for me. God expects something from me. What does he want? Gave us a Torah. Gave us the laws. And he says, it's your world. The heaven of the heavens of God and the earth he gave to people. The idea of being important is the great challenge. 
as the great Kabbalist of the Rabbi of Kamarna said, being happy is not one of the commands in the Torah. Being sad is not one of the sins in the Torah. But being happy can bring you to a higher level than any mitzvah, any command. And being sad can lower us where nothing else, no sin can lower us. We are where we are thinking. If we're, if we're in holy, happy dimensions, we're there. If we're down, we're down. And how can we be up in a world that offers us challenge thousands of years of history that no one can imagine that that this is the way the world should be? All the wars, all the suffering, all the disease, all the poverty. So it's very, very hard for us to look at life and say, God loves me. This leads us to the teachings of the Musa movement. What is Musa? There's two types of teachings. One is called Techocha. That's logical. I tell you, if you do good, you'll have heaven. You'll do bad, you'll go the other place. I'll tell you logical things. The other thing is Musa. Musa means that we get rough. We're very, very stringent and severe. That's Musa. Musa bangs away, tears away the facade, the foolishness, and gets to the point. But how do we get there without a good stick? How do we get there in our own lives? We want to reach inside and get rid of the narishkeit, the foolishness. How do we do that? Terchokha logic is not really enough. What do we have to do? We have to use Musa. Musa to be severe to get into us. The great hero of Musa was Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. Rabbi Yisrael from Salant. He taught a secret. If you say a simple thing, slowly and steadily many times, it penetrates. We know hypnosis is effective. Before they came up with all these anesthesias, the only way to get a person down was hypnosis. And some people who are really hypnotized can have surgery without any anesthesia. How is this? Because hypnosis is the ability when you're good and relaxed, something opens up inside. And you can tell it whatever you want, even lies. You can tell it anything you want. I'm going to do it. I can do it. You can't do it. But you tell yourself one of your hypnosis, I can do it. It's written down in the inner machinery, and you get up and you go for it. You could be in great pain. You reach deep, deep inside with hypnosis. There's no logic there. It just... The raw material of the mind, of the soul, just goes right in, whatever you tell it. There are some people that live with drugs and drink because their inside has that writing on it. They know it's wrong. They know it's death. But that's what's written there. 
And Rabbi Salanta taught that you can sit and work on yourself, say it slowly. God loves me. God loves me. The creation is for me. One human being was created, and everybody has to say, for my sake, the world was created. Chayav Odom Lomar, a person has to say, for my sake, the world was created. You say it one time, you're not going to believe it. You say it two times, three times, five times, ten times, it's going to get there. Therefore, a book like this, Secret of the Scale, you can read it. Oh, what an interesting idea. There's a lot of interesting ideas in the book. People like the book for the interesting ideas. But if you want to really get the maximum from the book, you're going to read it slowly. You're going to take one sentence at a time and let it sink in. Now, is there anybody who has either read the book or who has uh, taken a look at the uh, download or who sees the the page here who has any kind of questions? Okay, you have to type your question if you have a question. <clears throat> There's no questions. No questions here. Okay. Let's take a look at evolution. The great battle between people like us who believe in God and the other people is evolution. When I was growing up in the 50s, I would walk outside with the yarmulke, and people were very concerned that I was somehow brainwashed, I lost my mind, I wasn't rational anymore. So they really gave it to me, because they were frightened that a boy should grow with such funny ideas. Of course they told me, you people came from monkeys, don't you know that? Don't you know people came from monkeys? I wasn't that smart. I just couldn't understand why people should be so excited about coming from monkeys. I just didn't understand it. My parents didn't tell me I came from monkeys, but everybody out there, if you didn't believe you were coming from monkeys, you, well, you were just uh, whatever those people thought I was. What is evolution? Hitler thrived. The whole Hitler, the whole Nazism came from this idea of Darwin. And it wasn't limited to Germany. In the United States of America, the greatest of the jurists made an opinion in a case in Virginia essentially about taking people that were inferior and operating on them so they wouldn't make problems. In the United States of America, there was an article in the Times last uh, year or whatever. It's a picture of an older man who as a child was found to be lacking wasn't the brightest wasn't going to be a productive citizen we didn't need those kind of people so the father took the kid he dumped him at some kind of state facility he never saw the kid again the kid grew up without a father without any love they just let the, let the kid rot maybe one day the kid will get something and die before we finish with them this happened in America because everybody was into the idea of evolution. The strong conquers the weak. 
Why are you great? Because you killed a thousand people and conquered a country. And if you conquered, and if you killed ten thousand people, oh, you're very great. And if you destroyed the whole world, like Alexander the Great, like Napoleon, and you killed countries and countries and slaughtered armies upon armies, well, you, we have to study about you, and there's books about you. This is the idea that humans are only important as they overpower other human beings. They're greater, they're smarter, they're stronger. This is evolution. In the Torah, a human being is great because God loves a human being. And what does God love? El Zavit, God says, this is what I look for. Only the poor man in the Heruach broken your spirit, the hurried of the Vora, he trembles at my word. This is greatness. Not the murderer, not the mass murderer. And this is the great difference, the great divide between the whole world out there. The whole world out there where everybody's busy, me, me, me. Look at Western Europe just disappearing. Me, me, me. They have parents. In France, they have parents. Old parents. But they've got to have a vacation. They have to get away. So they get away. The heat comes, kills the parents. And the children come back for the funeral and the inheritance. In such a world of Eastern Europe, the replacement rate is 1.3 per woman and the only way to survive is 2.1 children per women. So Eastern Europe is falling down so that cities in Europe, whole article in the Times about this, Western Europe now is making city planning so that major sections of the cities will be turned into woods because there's not enough people to need these things. And we're talking about Social Security in America, trillions of dollars are owed by, for Social Security. Who's going to pay it? Where are the children? Where are the young generation that's going to pay in these enormous amounts so that people can retire? In Europe, what they do is they just say, you're not going to retire this year, fellow. You're going to retire five years later. And then guess what? Another year, another year. Good luck. See what you're going to get your social security, who's going to pay these things. So all that we see in the world, these are the two ways. The religious biblical person says, God created me. I'm a person with a soul, and I'm important. And I came in the world to emulate God. He created people. I'm going to create people. Hey, we're parents. We live for our children. And we live for others. And that's what makes us great. The more we give, the greater we are. And the secular person says, I'm going to take out the competition. I'm going to squash them. The big, the big famous person in America. Somebody took a fist. Heavyweight champion. Bam! He smashed someone in the head. Wow. And baseball, football, basketball. What's it all about? I beat you. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. 
in my community, somebody would talk about sports, you'd be driven out of town. What's the matter? This is this is what a human being talks about. People without children, without family, they stay up all night to buy a ticket for a baseball game. And they love their dogs. They love dogs. People they don't have time for, but dogs, they're very nice to dogs. And they're running around, humane slaughter. They care about animals. Article in the time now. Old horses used to be sold to a slaughterhouse, turned into dog food. Not anymore. Now the horses may not be slaughtered because they have rights. So what do they do? They starve to death. The most hideous suffering, they starve to death. So this is the idea that separates human beings with souls who are close to God with everybody else and everybody else is into me as I see other people as threatening. Other people are threatening. Now, I see here Anna Penrod. Sorry for being late. I just got back from Louisville. That's a good excuse. I have better excuses. Now, did I get anybody's eat Jack Sanders? No. Does anybody have any comments at this point? Okay. When I first spoke to Jack Sanders, I said to him, Jack, you and I, in 120 years, we're going to come up there. And the judge is going to ask and say, uh, David, um, what did you do in your life? I say, Lord, came Sabbath. He put down the chant on the table. Did I eat a delicious chant in honor of the Sabbath? Oh, the other things... Uh, that I ate also, but I hope my skill wasn't listening. Okay, they'll say, uh, go stand in that line over there if you don't mind. And then they're going to call in Jack, 120 years. Jack Sanders, what did you do? Well, he's going to say, he lived in Tennessee. In a whole world, had no use for Jews to begin with, and certainly not that kind of a Jew. Certainly not a Noahite. He sits there and defies the whole world just like Abraham. And he comes up there and they say, hey, now, this is what we're looking for. So this is um, when we talk about Noahites. So the Satan comes to you and says, you, Noahite, the world spits at you and you're not Jewish. And fui this and fui that. The fact of the matter is that who is there? that has the greatness of a Noahite. These people, this is the incredible thing. These people didn't have a tradition from Sinai, a family connections. When I was a little kid, the big day was Passover. We went and um, we sat down at the Passover Seder. The meal, the whole family was there. and All the little kids could show up like brats that we memorized the four questions. And the best part of it, when we stole from my grandfather, if we stole the matzah, 
So then we could ask anything we want. But you know, there was some kind of corruption of the process, and I, I was somebody said to me, ask for a case. So I said to myself, maybe better luck next year. But anyway, we kids, we had from the time we we're little, we had the the Seder or Hebrew school. We grew up, but even thirtieth comedy sins we did, or how enthusiastic we were, or how brave or courageous we were. And now you have a fellow in the middle of Tennessee. <laughs> He grew up his whole life in a different world, and he comes to Judaism. For what? For what? So, someone's going to honor you. I was Jewish because because I got honored if I was if if, uh, if I could say the four questions. I was oh, he said a nice little smart word. So that's why I was religious. But you have a situation where people serve God out of out of intelligence, out of out of righteousness. That's that's an incredible thing. So it's a it's it's the work of the Satan that comes to the greatest people and says to them, Yeah, yeah, no I I spoken to uh lately, recently when I started to becoming involved with Jack and with um a few other people. And um, spoke at length. Now, Jay, now Ray didn't have the time to talk with me, but I talked with him and other people. And um, I just tell you that I see people that want to serve God and they want to do what is right. I don't think any of them understand just how special this is. And I see here in the community how hard it is for us to keep to keep our yarmulkes on. There's so much stress, so many problems. Even though we're completely cut off from the outer world. Think a person like me put me in Tennessee, I'd be out of there in seconds. I mean, I, I'm ashamed to admit it. But I mean, I have to know that my beliefs is had a lot of support systems. But people to, to serve God without the support systems, this is uh, so. When you're talking about people being beloved in the eyes of God, you talk about the first Jew that was Abraham. He was a pagan. His father was the worst pagan around. His father used to make idols. He was the one that made the idols. He was the chief one. Now, I see that somebody wrote something here. Let me see. What's this? Anna Penrod. Okay. I know that many Noahides identify with Abraham. Because like you said in your book, we had to find God mostly on our own. Uh-huh. I find the comments about the activity of act of discovering God as an act of revealing his light, an amazing thought. Well, I'm glad you found that it's an amazing thought. I think it's unbelievable. I mean, we heard about Abraham. We heard about Abraham. But you know, uh, Adam compares uh, the Noahs with Abraham. But I tell you, it's not really a good comparison. I was discussing this with, uh, with a friend of mine. I said, uh, Abraham lived in a world, everything was black and white. If you wanted to believe in God, there's only one idea, one way, believe in God. And uh, Abraham lived in a time with no, the Noahides, that's the children of Noah. Noah was ten generations before Abraham. So they went one way, and the pagans went somewhere else. Went somewhere else. And everybody knew that uh, there's one, it's black or white, so Abraham chose God. Today, you grow up, the religion itself teaches one thing. The book, um, very famous classical book, The Sword of Constantine by a Catholic priest. He lectured in Harvard many years. 
He says if you study Christianity, you see that the main thought, and this is a major scholar in his book, which is sort of constituted, maybe the major book on the subject, as far as the little bit that I know about it. He said that if you study carefully the tenets of Christianity, everything comes and goes. If he was divine, he wasn't divine. His mother was this, his mother was that. There's, you, there's all types of beliefs, and they're all acceptable. At one time or another, at least. But one thing, the spine of the religion was hate Jews. That's the spine of the religion. And the Noahide comes after thousands of years of this. And he says, boop. We're not talking about somebody who walks down the street and sees people after a night with drugs and drink and says, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like the people that are the, the religious people I don't want to be. Because logically, I feel it's wrong. So Abraham didn't do that. I don't think Abraham did that. Abraham lived in a time, if you, if you worship the idols, you took your baby and threw it in the furnace. You took your baby and threw it in the fire. Now, if you don't want to be like that, I mean, Abraham gets a lot of credit. But is that what happens today? A person sits in the middle of the Bible Belt, and he and his parents and grandparents for thousands of years think, oh, this is the, the epitome of righteousness. Hated Jew. The Bible is evil. The, the, the part of it that says that God loves Jews, that's something, you know, that has to be edited or whatever they do with it. And to get up and say no, I, I'm uh, being very realistic about uh, where my piety, whatever it is, stands up to that kind of piety. That's that's the real thing. That's and it's not just the real thing in uh, in cosmic uh, values. It's 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 unusual because in in the religion itself that everybody except that this is the religion and this is the saint and this is the pious one. This is the one that prays to God and the, the creator of the world. And people should look into it and find that most despised and hideous thing, which is Judaism, that that's the way. On their own? Where, where, did, the, where did the strength for that come from? This is, uh, this is amazing. Now, a person like me, I like to say nasty things. I, you know, it's, everybody's got this. If I give a compliment, you don't have to balance it. That's just with my nature. So what am I going to say nasty about the, about Noahides? What am I going to say? I just finished saying that Abraham would have to really respect these people. <clears throat> so I want to say as follows. Really two things. Before the war, there was a very great Jewish thinker, Rabbi Lubavitz, who was the, the head of the Mir Yeshiva, very great deep thinker, Rabbi Yerucham Lubavitz. In those days, the Yeshivas had a terrible time because all the students lived in houses and in communities. Being a Yeshiva student was not one of the nice things to do. Nobody wanted to marry a yeshiva student. Nobody wanted their children to be yeshiva students. People were despised if they want to study further. And everybody's wanting to be communists. And everybody's wanting to be an atheist professor of science. 
or at least make a lot of money and don't keep the Sabbath anymore and never wear a yarmulke in public. That was going on. Whole generation swept away by the time. Not everyone, but a lot of them. And Rabbi Lubavitz got up and he said to his students in the yeshiva, he said, in this yeshiva, not only do we study Torah against what goes on in the world, but he says, I want to tell you something. The time will come where all these horrible winds are going to blow the other way. Today, everybody thinks communism is really the way to go. I'm sitting in yeshiva, I'm holding on. Even, maybe it's not uh, rational, but I do it anyway for religious reasons. Rabbi Yolovitz says, God's making a new world. He's preparing the Messiah. He's preparing the end. The end. All the evil that people worship is going to dissipate. And that's the time we live in. I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking to a senior rabbi. And I was battling the gay lobby. And I said to this rabbi, We've got to fight the gay lobby. Who knows what they'll do to us when they get power? They'll claim we're haters and they'll really, really make us a lot of trouble. And he smiled knowingly and he says, no, there's nothing to worry about. He said, why not? He said, the Catholics will take care of it. That was the power maybe 20 years ago. The Catholics had the power. The church was tremendously powerful, tremendously powerful. And this church, the main thing, where do they teach about Jews? And the Vatican was the first to recognize Hitler and the last to recognize Israel. But they were so powerful and so rich, so influential, that this rabbi says to me, if the, if the church doesn't want gay rights, it never will be. And when the great battle here in New York State about gay rights happened, the church was helpless because that was the problem of the child molestations. And as a result of that, the church lost its power. There are places in America where this enormously wealthy church is just about bankrupt because of all the Catholics that are suing them for child molestation. This is the religion that kidnapped Jews and burned Jews and destroyed Jews for thousands of years. And the majority of the world trembled that this is spirituality, but no longer. The Pope said the war in Iraq is, a, is an evil war. No Catholics allowed to, if we go there and shoot anybody. No, no one listened to him. I never heard a single case of an American Catholic soldier who, who, who didn't participate in the war in Iraq because of what the Pope says. You see, guess what the Pope said. That's the way it is. Rabbi Lubavitch said all the great powers, communism. When we were growing up, communism was so terrible, growing everywhere, more and more. All of a sudden, boop, boop. Rabbi Yisrael Merkagin, the saint of the generation when communism came to power, at first, he said we should have gone out to fight them, but now it's too late. But they said, to him, what's going to be? This is a horrible force. He said, it will last 70 years. And that's exactly what happened. For no reason, for no reason, they closed down, gave back countries, 
and uh, George Cannon, who was the major expert on Russia, was asked, how could this be? He said, it's a miracle. And you look now, the forces, the secular forces, feminism, whew, when feminism started out, and now the books by women, what kind of life do I have? I can't have a husband, I can't have children. People now, women, they they make millions of dollars, the heads of corporations. And they, finally, after they made so much money and they have so much power, they decide it's time to have a baby. So they trot over to the uh, fertility clinic and the doctor says, lady, what are you doing here? She says, I want a baby. That's a, that's a scientific world. I can't have a baby. I said, lady, you can't come in here at your age. What are you doing here? And she burst out crying. She said, the article in the book about this said that these doctors and fertility clinics keep boxes of Kleenexes for these extraordinarily wealthy ladies that come in and find out the facts of life when it's too late. And, of course, in the New York Times, you have Maureen Dowd. She's always going around texting and groaning. She never married. And she writes about it. She says, everything they taught me, be brilliant, go to Harvard, be a writer, be this, be that. She says, I did everything. And she's very pretty. And she had everything. And people said to her, you'll never get married. And she says, it's true. Now she's already older. People had such ideas. She, she mentions there, her mother gave her a book, an old-fashioned book on dating. Her friends heard she has an old-fashioned book on dating. Oh, can we borrow it? Can we borrow it? Who's the we? Her friends. These are the powerful people in Wall Street. The publishers, the doctors. Oh, can I borrow it? Can I borrow it? And one thing she mentions, if a woman got a master's degree in Harvard in business, she never mentions it to a boy when she goes out with him. As soon as he hears that the girl he's dating has a master's degree in business from Harvard, that's it. Goodbye. So what, what was accomplished? The new ideas. My community, we're, we're out of it. Completely out of it. I wear a long coat. I look funny, strange. If I was walking around in Tennessee like this, I'd be in big trouble. But, uh, you know, even in Tennessee and Texas now, they know who people like me are. But it's very, very strange here. One day I was in rabbinical court. We look out the window and we see an apparition. Something strange is coming down towards the bedroom, towards the rabbinical court. So I went outside. Yes, it's an apparition. A tall, lovely woman. But listen how she's dressed. Imagine a medieval nun hiding in a monastery. How does she dress when she goes out in the street? That's the way this lady dressed. I live in the most ultra-Orthodox sections of the world, and my family is married to the most ultra-Orthodox families. I never saw anyone dressed like that. Never. Yes, what can I do for you? This lady was a writer. She was out there where Marine Dowd was. And she had enough. 
So she decides she wants to go where the action is. She wants to have a normal life. Doesn't want to be the secular world. So she came to the biblical court. <laughs> and she, you know, she, she heard that uh, people have to be modest. So she put a tent on whatever she put on. Now, why do I mention this about Noahide? What's got to do with Noahide? If Abu Lubavitz is right, and it is true that people are fed up with communism, fed up with everything, and they know that all the civil rights things, what do they try to help blacks? What do they do to blacks? They destroy them. When the Orthodox lived in New York City in the poor times in the 30s, 20s and 30s, and the boat came into Ellis Island, they would send 15-year-old girls in the middle of the night running around. There were no telephones. These 15-year-old girls would run to the tenements in New York State, in New York City, banging on doors, wake up, the boat, the, the boat is coming in. We have, to, we have to start cooking and you have to prepare for them. No one ever heard of something. There were many blacks living there. No one ever heard of a black should attack a woman, attack anybody else. They emerged from slavery, decent, fine people with families. Along comes the civil rights movement. We are going to help out. We're going to teach the blacks to hate. That's the way it is. And the women are taught, hate. I deal with divorce, I know. <laughs> oh, they did a great job teaching women to hate, the blacks to hate. Whoever, whoever they help was destroyed. So why do I mention this about Noah Hearts? My dear friends, today there's a world out there where everything is broken. Everything that everybody believed in. Communism. Everybody saw what Hitler did with Darwin. Everybody knows what happened to the blacks and to the women when they were helped out by secularists. On the complete destruction and devastation of the Catholic Church. And what goes on with the evangelical religions and the top people that are caught with the hands in the till and the, with women or with men. People, it's, everything's open now. If we'll reach out our hand, we can pull in these lofty souls that are confused. I was once in a rabbi's house. He says, come here. He says, you're going to be part of a group of our Besden. We're going to do a conversion. Look in the house. All these kids you tell they're not Jewish. All these blondy little kids, cute little kids, they're sitting there in this Hasidic rabbi's house. What was the story? There was an evangelical preacher who was a terrific proselytizer of Jews. He was one of the main powers. And he heard there's a rabbi to be a singer that fought missionaries. So he got on his radio show and he said, I challenge my singer to a debate about the true faith. My singer said, I'm not going to debate people on, the, on his radio show. But he was persistent. He said, oh, my singer is afraid of me. Obviously, he knows I have the truth. So eventually, my singer agreed to debate him. In the middle of debate, this man jumps up. He says, I want to be Jewish. And I was there when he converted. This man had everything. He was wealthy. He was powerful. Let me tell you, these people, they know how to use their religion. They know what to do with their time.
But anyway, when he when he changed his religion, they kicked him out. And there would use his money and his power and his honor, his poor wife and children. <laughs> they came up here to Muncie. And I'll tell you, when I come on the other world, I'm going to see this fellow, and they're going to ask me, no, what did you do, David? I said, my children. Ah, oh, it's so delicious. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And then they're going to ask this fellow what you did. I want to tell you something. One good thing I'm going to get from it. I'm not going to have to go to Gehenna. I won't have to go in the fire there. Because I'll be so embarrassed from these people that I won't have to go to Gehenna. So I'll get something out of it anyway. But really... The Noahide movement today, there's a lot of people struggling there. And there's not too much, there's not too much that they have that don't have the great resources that the wicked have. That's the way it usually is. And yet, there's an opportunity there. A world that's struggling and confused, that if people really figure, you know, God created the whole world just for me, that they could get up and do something. And they shouldn't just think about themselves and their future role. Sure, all the Noahides are going to have a terrific portion and up there. Probably going to be a special place. I don't know. Maybe maybe once a year they'll take people like me on a guided tour to see what we're missing. But that's very nice. But there's a world preparing for the Mashiach, preparing for Messiah. And this world is, is awaiting. It's awaiting people who can reach out, who can do something. One of us uh, that I've been dealing with lately, it was a karate instructor. And uh, and many of the people that he taught how to do karate, he, uh, he would talk to them about religion. And many of them became no-hides. So, there's a, it's a great honor for me to teach this class and... Um, Ray Patterson was kind enough to allow me to come here. Jack Sanders was kind enough to help me out to get me uh, a little bit into this work here. And uh, it's a very great honor. But I just, you know, I want to say something unpleasant. So I'll say, don't just rest on your laurels. I'm sure you're going to have the future world. And maybe you have a better place than people like me. But there's always going to be the thought, who knows what I could have done if I would have had a little more ego had a little more courage, a little more self-confidence, if I really felt, yeah, I'm really something special. At my level, I can really, really plug myself into the highest forces and energies and really get going over here. And, of course, uh, what Ray Pedersen's trying to do and what Jack is trying to do is trying to get people, this person here and this person there. That's very nice, but a unified group, is really the way to go. And one thing we do in the book, we talk about two people, or rather uh, one person who could have different attitudes. One attitude is, I am great. And you, you are greater. The other attitude of the other person is, I am nothing, and you are worse. If we feel I am great and God created me, what do we learn from this? I am great. 
Say it again. I am great. God created me. The whole universe was created just for me. Step two, I am great. You are greater. To learn to appreciate somebody else, the hardest thing, especially today. Today, what is a marriage? A marriage is two competing people. They have drives, biological drives, emotional drives. They're lonely. They need a marriage. But do they know how to be married? Do they know I am greater and you are greater? Or do they know I am nothing and you are worse? Or, or maybe they don't even know what to think. Live in a world post-marital age. Live in a world teach a child to divorce his parents. You go in the inner cities blocks and blocks you won't find a normal family. A father and a mother and children. And the great curse of people trying to help people with non-biblical ideas. Spear the rod and spoil the child. And no, today, you've got to be so nice and gentle. Teacher in public school says a kid comes to chemistry class, doesn't know it's flying. Pass him. Don't want him to be depressed. Pass him. And this kid goes up, he's got a paper, he graduated. Only thing you can do is sell drugs. I am great and you are greater. Because we're part of God's world. God's world has a Torah. And God's world has Derech Eretz that comes before the Torah. Derech Eretz means the way of normal people living. There is such a thing. And today it's all disappearing. And it's getting everywhere. It's going everywhere. The poison is dipping everywhere. Those of you who see me in a picture, see a long beard, whatever. In the 60s and the early 70s, I was a part of the Lakewood Yeshiva group that everybody wore short jackets, dressed regular. Most people shaved. And that's the way we were. We studied Torah. We were Lithuanian-type Torah scholars. But we were more or less worldly than our, in our appearance. And one day, I started, I had a job as a traveling chaplain. And I went up here in Rockland in Rock County, Newport's College, and 6,000 students. A lot of Jewish people there. And a girl says to me, Rabbi, she says, we have a lot of problems with the boys. And I don't want to say what the problems were. It wasn't anything uh, criminal. It was something more on the lines of uh, what boys thought about girls. So um, I went to the boys. I said, is this true? Anyway, I found out that it was true. And the day that I found out it was true, I used to have in those days a $100 Chevrolet with a hole in the floor, but I had a good motor. And I stepped on the gas, and I got out of there. And I came back to Muncie. 
I came in the house. I said, Sarariva, we're getting out. And we got out. And my daughter on her wedding day, she was walking out of the house. And she called me into her room. And she says, Tati, I know how hard it was for you to raise us the way you did. And I thank you for it. And I had friends who didn't make the change. Their daughters, today some of them are not even married. It's not enough to be religious. We have to know what kind of world it is out there. And if you were to succeed, you've got to have community. I found some of my children in the community. And the Noahites, they also need communities. It's very nice in the eyes of God that this one here and this one there, and God just is just so happy with them. But you wouldn't raise children like this. Children that go to public school, children who watch television, children who are friends, who knows what the children believe. I'll tell you what they believe. If you don't believe in studying and uh, all the details about homosexuality, you're a hater. That's what they believe. You can't raise children like this. And what, you've got to do what I did if you want to do it right by your children. You've got to bite the bullet and make communities where people can protect their children and themselves. If I'd be out in the world, I wouldn't live in nonsense. I don't know what happened to me. I'm a human being. You're influenced by people that you see. Everything we see, it influences us. The first generation, the greatest rabbi in the world was the Briskerov, the rabbi of Brisk, Rabbi Salavetsu. And one day, he came to a city, and he saw there an institution of education that hurt him very much because it was an institution that taught the wrong things. And when he first set eyes on this place, this institution of higher learning that taught the wrong things, he tore his clothes as a sign of mourning. And he cried bitterly. And the next time that he happened to be walking in those parts. He saw the same place. He said, Oi, look at that. But he didn't cry and he didn't tear his clothes. And when he realized that he didn't cry and tear his clothes a second time, he went home and cried bitterly. He said, when I saw that thing, I accepted it. The first time, I tore my clothes and I cried. second time, yeah, that's what's there. That's life. You have an institution of higher learning that teaches atheism. That's the way it is. And you accept what you see. There's a teaching. Rabbi Akiva, who lived about 2,000 years ago, one of the very greatest rabbis of the Talmud. He had a mentor, Rabbi Eliezer the Great. And before he died, or was it the great 
spoke with Rabbi Akiva, and he taught him many wondrous things in the Torah. And Rabbi Akiva started to cry, and he says, "Why are you crying, Akiva?" He says, "Because who's going to teach me Torah now? When you die, who's going to teach me Torah?" And he says, Akiva, that's the wrong thing to say. You are not to cry because you have no one to learn Torah from. You are to cry for a different reason. When I die, said Reverend Elizabeth the Great, a generation will pass. My generation that lived in the time of the temple, and we saw the temple, and I die, people will not see anybody who was a rabbi in the time of the temple. And all the standards of the world were declined because people have no one to look at. And who will they look at? The richest ones, the big politician, the one with power knows how to use it. He said, that will destroy the world. What we see makes us. You could try. But what you see makes you. And this is our challenge. A friend of mine told me that I was in yeshiva about 50 years ago. I had a friend that he said, you know, he said, we don't have free choice. We don't have free choice. We have, we have free choice to find out who's going to influence us. If we hang out with the wrong friends, we're going to become not good people. If we hang out with good people, we'll be good people. But what is our free choice? Our free choice is the ability to choose those who will make us, who will mold us. And you know, if that's true of us, of adults, what can we say about children? What are we going to do with our children? I look at it a different way. When you and I were growing up, world is basically a decent world. People our age, they're probably against gay marriage. But our children are going to go in a world where things are much different. The evil ones won't be the gays. There'll be people who don't accept gays. They're going to be the evil ones. It's going to be a big challenge. And my babies came to America from Europe, from a destroyed world. They understood that brick by brick, they're going to have to be built. One of the great geniuses, Rabbi Yankov, Halevi Ruderman, the dean of yeshiva near Israel in Baltimore. Today it's a huge campus. But when he came, it wasn't a huge campus. And he wasn't a personality that could raise money. He was a, he was a genius. Good at studying books, but he had to raise money for his yeshiva. So they got him a little, a little pot or whatever, little jar, and he would open the door, and he would say, "Give a dollar for payer, give a dollar for payer." Those days, a dollar was something, but they see him. One of the great rabbis in the world is standing there with a jar. Okay, here's a dollar. Little by little, building up. When I came to Lakewood Yeshiva, which was the greatest yeshiva in the world, somebody gave me a ride. A friend of my father's gave a ride. And he had heard Lakewood Yeshiva was the greatest yeshiva in the world. 
So he drove to Lakewood, New Jersey, and he dropped me off. And when we saw the building, that was the greatest yeshiva in the world, we were both deeply embarrassed. I went into the uh, yeshiva. I had to go to the bathroom. So I asked where the toilet is. I said, we have one working toilet. You have to go upstairs all the way down to the end of the hall. The food? One time uh, there was a problem because most of it was bugs. There was no air conditioning then. In the summer, the bugs just came in. They saw a big pot and they went to work. And how many people came to such a issue in such times? Nobody was interested in marrying a yeshiva student. Two or three people came every turn, two or three people left. But little by little, it hit critical mass. And today it's a huge yeshiva. And not only is it a huge yeshiva, but there are thousands and thousands of people in Lakewood who, if, after they left yeshiva and they went to work, they stayed in the yeshiva and they developed Torah children and yeshiva children so that there's a mighty community there. The Noahide movement now is where we were in the 50s and the 60s. And as long as we had the inspired leaders that were willing to go and put up with what you put up with when you have to raise money and put up with what you put up with when you have to deal with the hostile world, as long as there will be such leaders, then God's blessing will rest upon you and you're going to have very great success. And I want to thank you. I want to thank Ray Patterson for inviting me here. <clears throat> and um, I want to thank Jack, San uh, Jack Sanders and a few other people that I, uh, and Adam. And uh, it's been a great pleasure uh, to speak to people. And uh, I'm here basically at Exploratory level. I don't know anything at all about no lives and their lives and their even the Torah laws about Noahide, it's, it's a new field to me, and it's a very difficult one. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very happy to t get to work on it on an exploratory level, whatever it is. If anybody wants to talk to me and uh, teach me what they're thinking, what they're doing, so I'll understand about Noahides. Uh, you can um, send me an email. Uh, D-D-D-E-I-D at Verizon.net or you can go on the website uh, secretscale.com where there are contacts information or if you are in the mood to, to talk on the telephone uh, you could give me a call at 845-578-1860 very happy to talk to you and um, if there's any other comments uh, any comments or uh, any questions now, please let me know. Okay, um, I just want to mention again, um, I have several websites that might be um, of interest to you. There's this um, secretscale.com about the uh, book Secret of the Scale, and there's different um, files, audio files here. There's um, another site that's uh, um, for Noahides called TorahUniversal.com. That's TorahUniversal.com. And there we have um, 
we have uh, an article there from uh, Hiram to Noahide, and uh, we have different articles that I wrote for the First Covenant. And um, there again, uh, if you're interested in, uh, in writing a column for us or uh, participating somehow in that the website, um, please uh, contact us um, and, and, and let us know. And uh, there are, uh, there's another website um, Jewhaters.com, I made with a Nazi, and the, even the Nazis, if they hear the Torah truth, they have a much different idea. There's many, many Nazis out there who hate Jews for the same reason that I do, because they, they met too many Jewish radicals and too many Jewish communists and too many Jewish pro-gays and too many Jewish this or that, and um, such people we can... We can teach them there's another type of a Jew. And I sent them my Judaism, two pages. They sent it out to, to all of his Nazi friends and his Arab friends. And interestingly enough, they wrote to me and spoke to me with the greatest respect. So I made a site there, jewhaters.com. Um, so you might be interested in going into the issues there that create much anti-Semitism. And uh, you might want to look at the site, sinaicentral.com. And uh, there's other sites there. You'll see th those sites. So uh, it was a very great honor that uh, Ray Pedersen invited me here, and I thank you very, very much for the opportunity.